Oh, yeah. We're back. That's right. What's what going on? What is that on? sound? It's an all-new and improved Brooklyn Paper Radio back for its first episodes from a um, first broadcast from America's downtown. That's right. Downtown Brooklyn. What's Here going on, everybody? In our beloved headquarters, I have my co-host, Johnny. How you doing? Johnny Cunin. And this is the voice of Anthony Rotano, editor-in-chief of Brooklyn Paper and co-host of Brooklyn Paper Radio. And of course, we're brought to you by our amazing sponsors, Care, going above and beyond for you. Check them out online at amidacareny.org. And the fabulous Flaming Grill, which is serving up all-you-can-eat sushi, barbecue, and more down in Sheepshead Bay at 3839 Nostrand Avenue. I got to go over there and get some all-you-can-eat sushi. Lunchtime. Sterling Optical. Get your vision to optimal at Sterling Optical. Uh, schedule an appointment today at sterlingoptical.com. Tony, it's our first show, man. I know. We're fully back. Last week, we uh, treated our listeners to a very special pre-kickoff kickoff broadcast featuring a one, once-in-a-lifetime interview between our president and publisher, Victoria Schnepps Eunice, and her high school classmate, Judge Judith the Honorable, The Honorable Judge better Judy. Better known as the Honorable Judge Judy. Uh, you know, the two grew up in a Brooklyn very different to the one that we're living in now, but they shared some great stories about times gone by and, you know, how things have changed in the borough since then, and also shared some really great advice for aspiring professionals, you know, both Vicky and, and Judge Judy. I think nobody would doubt the careers they've achieved. Nobody would not call them accomplished businesswomen, and um, it was wonderful to great their get their takes on their careers and what led them to where they are. And our listeners should look out for the Power Women podcast by Vicki Schnapps every week. Yeah, Vicki will be powwowing with another titan of industry, another female titan of industry, you know, across across professions, across the city um, to kind of share similar stories and, um, you know, provide some insight into how people got where they are today. So that is definitely worth tuning into. But only after you listen to this full broadcast. Brooklyn Paper Radio. Because it's about time we return to the radio and the airwaves with, you know, the news that you need to know. Um, a lot has happened in Brooklyn since our last broadcast uh, last fall. And no, we will not attempt to bring you up to speed on every single thing. Not today, anyway. At least not today. But, you know... What we will do today is kind of dive headfirst into the issues and the stories that are driving conversations here in our newsroom and around the borough. Um, you know, this week, last week, stuff that we've sort of been chasing and that we think, you know, is as good a place as any to resume the conversation we're having with you guys. So let's get started with our first reporter, none other than the Honorable Julianne Cuba, who's yes. in the house. Yes, we have... Um, Senior reporter Julianne Cuba with us. You'll remember her from broadcasts gone by, past broadcasts. You know, she's our star Brooklyn paper reporter here on her official third year anniversary with the organization. I think that deserves a round of applause, Johnny, Natalie. Yeah, we have also our intern, Natalie Rocha, in the house on the mic, in the producer seat. Hi, guys. Mike Four. Give it up for Natalie. What's our first story? So Julianne's here today. Um, you know, something stinks in Brooklyn lately. And it's not um, me. I don't know if you've smelt it on the L train lately or if you've smelt it, you know, walking around the local school auditorium for the Gowanus rezoning last meeting last week. But there's some there's some stench in the air, some of it more um, metaphorical than physical. But the physical stench, the, the, the tangible stench, is, is a big issue. Um, Julianne... Tell us what's going on with the stink smelt round the borough uh, along the L train. So people, uh, riders first started noticing it last week um, where it was a potent smell from the tunnel and around Bushwick and Williamsburg area um, and started reporting it to um, the MTA on Twitter, no one was really sure where it was coming from. People were getting nauseous. Um, allegedly, someone passed out. Whoa. Dear God. And the firefighters checked it out. You know, EDC, the environmental um, experts for the city and the state came to check it out. They said it was safe, but people continued to report it. And this was over the course of last week. This yeah. all started like a week ago or not even going on for like a week or more. Right. Um, and so 
the um, MTA hired a or brought on a um, external environmental consultant who determined that the air was safe, but that didn't stop, um, you know, union employees who work on the tracks to fall ill and had to be taken to the hospital because of the smell. This was just this past Thursday kind night. Kind of a big deal. Right, a I union smell rep. A scandal. Yeah, a union rep told you that, at, you know what, Thursday night, several of... Yeah, four employees, I think, were taken to the hospital. Fifteen others were sick. Wow. Um, And that led city councilman Stephen Levin and the union employees to ask MTA to suspend service until they get to the bottom of the smell where it's coming from, which... Right now, there's believed to be a few different sources. Originally, they said it was um, from leftover or leaking fuel, heating, fuel, heating right? fuel from like a different project on the tracks. And then they came back and said that it was potentially from a leftover um, gas plant or something under a gas um, station, like g- near gas the line. Station, yeah, under the line. So exactly where it's coming from, I don't think that's officially been determined but um people are also questioning whether it's related to the ongoing l train work because yeah they've kicked off a series of weeknight and weekend repairs ahead of the no the no called apocalypse now because it's not happening right yes so there is you know some people are are wondering if if that pre repair repair work is what's causing this the smell, which and and the fumes, you know, the smell is one thing, but the actual health of, uh, health problems the fumes may pose are quite another. Mm. Um, I mean, it's suspicious that it's only on the L train. It might not be connected, but obviously, it makes people question. Well, and this, you know, this before, you know, it's what's really alarming about this is is how it's less than a month after they reversed course on their whole grand plan to, to fix the, the L line, you know, they, Governor Cuomo for a quick recap, you know, in January did an about face called off the, the partial shutdown um, from Brooklyn of Brooklyn to Manhattan service in favor of a new plan that will allow reduced service along the line throughout its repairs to the tube that shuttles trains under the East river. Um, but, you know, that, Reduced service, continuous service means that riders will be in the subway, in the tunnels every single day. And if fumes and smells are already making people right. sick before it starts, it's not good. You know, and yeah, I mean, this isn't the first environmental concern that people have had about the L train because, I mean, we talked about this. Yeah, before we've talked about it in stories before, but you know, right with the. The new plan, the, yeah, um, like the night and weekend work with it could produce a chemical or toxic fume called silica, which riders are are worried about when the L train reopens in the morning. Right when they get into the nitty gritty of repairing the bench walls and rehanging the cables that they need to fix because of the damage done on the tunnels, that the main work, you know, every single day de- destroying the concrete comprises these walls could release that silica and you know that's every single day they'll be working on these trains and on the weekends so you know again the agency has ensured they will have quality control this that and the other but it does make i mean i live in brooklyn i'm speaking as a citizen maybe not as an editor i'm worried you know like i ride the l i have friends who ride the l and like sounds like you should be as worried. a citizen editor i have to question what the um you know what the logic here is well, especially um, if you're you're hearing everything's okay and a couple people went to the <laughs> hospital right you know those are a little bit conflicting messages and it's crazy how you know ever since Cuomo's taken this uh, this change in plans you know it's almost as if politicians and and you know experts are are sort of they're wistful for that shutdown they're sort of craving the old plan i think in many ways i mean now they're yeah i mean i don't think people because it took two years to put together. Right. I mean, not they. everyone, I think, agrees that not a shutdown is good. Like, you have to break it down. Having like, the service is, is a benefit. Yeah. But how the plan came to be. It, it leaves a lot to be desired. And, and the bigger issue is that, you know, there's, what, six weeks now, maybe seven before 
April arrives, and we don't know specifically when in April they intend to start the major repairs, but it doesn't leave a lot of room for investigations, for thorough examinations of, you know, little issues that like this gas smell that are bound to pop up as, you know, the as the work careens toward its kickoff time. But I have faith that if there's something to find out, Julianne, you will find it out. I will let you guys know. Julianne will let us know as long as she continues reporting on the line. But the other thing, you know, jumping off these tracks and onto another one that we wanted to bring Julianne in to talk about quickly is, you know, another part of her massive North Brooklyn beat is um, over in Gowanus, where, you know, any listener and reader of the paper knows that the city is pushing for a massive rezoning for part of. And, you know, the plans dropped a year ago. There have been maybe one or I'll say a handful because I don't know the number of meetings since they dropped the plans in last June. A few community meetings, one of which I know... City held meetings, not... Way before they dropped the plan, you know, to prepare the plan, correct? Yeah, yeah. But since their proposal's been released, I don't know how many, you know, it seems like the meetings about the (coughs) nitty-gritty of the plan have been maybe fewer and further between. Long story, endless, last week... There was a long-awaited meeting, you know, to discuss the latest revisions to this plan, which are, Julianne, quickly name some of the bigger changes they're proposing. I mean, they dr- they will dramatically alter the character of the neighborhood if this plan goes through as is in terms of what can be built there, right? Yeah, so one of the biggest changes right now, I think, is along 4th Avenue, which is one of the major corridors in Gowanus. Like, I think right now the tallest buildings are 12 stories that can rise there. And right. And they want to change that to 20, about 17 to 20 stories. Um, and then another area, about 30 stories. Um, so it's basically just allowing for bigger buildings, meaning more people. Um, Less sky. More density in, in that area. Which... I don't think, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think you get the sense that locals generally oppose the plan as a whole because a lot of them spent the better part of two years hemming and hawing over what changes they'd like to see. But where their issue, at least recently, uh, fell was the way in which it was presented at this meeting. Yeah, so I think people were, locals were expecting the city to present specific details about the plan to them um it's which like slideshow you know yeah a like very specific powerpoint things. an active presentation you yeah know. giving people a chance to ask questions about very specific things and instead it was kind of just like a free-for-all with like 200 300 people packed into an auditorium you know having to stand in line walk around tables with different city agencies not even all city planners it was like environmental protection like all different city agencies standing behind you know, in front of posters and people basically had to wait in line to ask a question and a group of activists from Gowanus instead um, like hijacked the meeting and demanded a different format and instead of just the free-for-all that it was. These activists, they were shouting things, right? Yeah, there were a few chants going on. One was um, Guanus rezoning is incomplete. City Hall, take a seat. And then another was all right. before you rezone, fix our homes. Which I like that, that is um, a lot of the public housing residents um, felt that they um, were not included in the rezoning framework. The rezoning framework, you know, it outlines a, a, a swath of the neighborhood with you know, different boundaries, but its general boundaries exclude those streets that include the many, you know, NYCHA complexes right. in the neighborhood. And they're impacted by the rezoning, by the Gowanus Canal cleanup. You know, they have a lot of environmental factors Speaking that they're of bad worrying smells. about. Right. They bear a lot of the brunt of the Gowanus Canal cleanup and for them not to be included and, and get the protection that they want. They were frustrated. Well, yeah, I mean, bringing in new residents to new buildings will directly affect the infrastructure that serves their buildings which you know is already crumbling as anybody who's read anything about you know the city's public housing systems the state of it recently knows you know that's a huge issue here so to just plan for new and not necessarily 
shore up the old is concerning um, because there are, are hundreds, I think hundreds of thousands, or no, they said what, 25% yeah, of the, the neighborhood? the says it's 20, the, that public housing residents make up 25% of the neighborhood. And the general, you know, before we let Julianne go, you know, the general, I think, complaint over the nature of the meeting <coughs> is indicative of a larger, you know, I don't want to call it apathy, but, you know, a larger trend in how we, you know, at least here in the newsroom, the way that city officials deal with those seeking information, you know, you have to really seek it out in order to get it from them. You know, our reporters are constantly re requesting answers to questions from agencies, public agencies about public projects and, you know, the amount of follow up and sort of incisive question preparation that you need to put in to get answers from these people is it's mind boggling sometimes. Is it not Julianne, you know, just getting the city officials to address things that once, you know, seemed bread and butter for them to do. Yeah. I think transparency is like a huge issue that is getting more difficult lately. Um, I mean, you often get the runaround. You get like, oh, reach out to this agency instead. Um, you have to foil for public information, which is typical. But I mean, it shouldn't takes, be that hard. It takes yeah. a long time. Um, and the thought of of someone giving up their evening to go and you know uh, expect to be told by people who work for the place that they live what might happen to their neighborhood, but instead have to stand in a line at a picnic table for two hours to ask their one question seems like a disservice to, you know, the, the people who made this community great and who made it what you want to redevelop today. You know, you couldn't get to where you are without where you were. And so you'd think that, you know, you think the public advocate race has a lot of potential for this issue. I mean, I don't know that it has potential for the Gowanus rezoning, but I think that it certainly has potential to fix some of those transparency issues that I think plague city yeah. uh, city government at large. I mean, I don't think explicit to the rezoning, right. but for holding NYCHA accountable, yes. You know, Kevin Duggan has been doggedly covering the public advocate race as it shapes up, at least with regard to, you know, who's on the map here in Brooklyn. Obviously, Councilman Jumani Williams is leading the charge there. I think he's netted, you know, the most substantial endorsements in his campaign. The vote is later this month on February 26th. So there's still time for people to move forward. There's still time for people to fall out. But um, it's a hot race. And yeah, Kevin's been covering that weekly. So I imagine before that the race, ballots yeah. are cast. We'll have to have him on to give us an insider kind of breakdown of who's where and why, you know, we should be picking who we're picking down the line. Um, but Julianne, thank you for coming in. We're going to send you back to work with a huge round of applause and, um, you know, move on to some other issues that are plaguing the borough right now. But not before we mention our sponsors. And I'm going to start with Sterling Optical. I said it before, if you want your vision to be optimal, call up Sterling Optical. If you're having trouble with your vision, Sterling Optical is the place to go. Kings Plaza Mall here in Brooklyn. Their optometrists and knowledgeable staff are committed to providing both quality eye exams and the best eyewear known to man. Designer frames, they got them. Contact lenses, of course. Sunglasses, the whole bit. Let me ask you a question, Tony. Sure. You know that sunglasses and eyeglasses and all that stuff make you look smarter, right? I've worn them since the second grade. I look at you and I see a scientist. You can see the light bulb above my head. And the editor-in-chief of the Brooklyn paper. Well, I'm telling That's you... how if, I got my job. If you want to look as smart as Tony, go to Sterling Optical. It's at 5160 Kings Plaza Mall in Brooklyn, New York. Or visit them online, sterlingoptical.com. Colin Mixon. Nixon. Mixon. It's Mixon. With an M. Thank you, Johnny. Welcome to the Brooklyn Paper Radio. Thanks for having me. I, I see you guys have cookies now. I yeah, bought those with Girl Scouts uh, in season right the now. The new and improved wow. program has a green room. Got really, a good deal on those. The production is amazing. Well, I listen, here. you're here for a reason. And Tony, what reason is that? Yeah, so, you know, not everything happens in North Brooklyn contrary to people 
people who live in North Brooklyn's opinion. Um, Brooklyn is a, a large borough, as we know all too well. And Colin, our beloved reporter who's sort of ensconced in what's happening in central Brooklyn, you know, ensconced the mom capital of the World Park Slope, but its surrounding neighborhoods. He's been chasing a story that I think has, you know, resonated with a lot of people here in Brooklyn Absolutely. these days. You know, I don't think there's anybody who doesn't address gentrification as, you know, one of the top issues that they see, you know, affecting the borough um, as it transforms rapidly into the third largest city in the country. And one politician out of central Brooklyn uh, whose district encompasses uh, Prospect Lefferts Gardens and Crown Heights is doing her part to stem that gentrification by what, Colin? What is she handing out? Um, so she's giving out not for sale signs, or this house is not for sale signs. Interesting. Is, you know, usually you put out signs that say this house is for sale, um, and or usually, beware of dogs. Usually you have. Yeah. Usually you put out the sign, and then people come with offers to buy your house. It's but, not a buyer's market. Um, it it's not. Um, Although buyers want it to be. Yeah, and so but in Prospect Lefferts Gardens and in Crown Heights, people are being inundated by offers to buy their homes and it's um and just almost, like getting their doors knocked a, and what's a, the deal it's a weekly thing if not a daily thing for wow. people they're getting you, you know you name it they're getting letters in the mail they're getting phone calls their people are knocking on their door according to assemblywoman richardson that's diana richardson the one and only um there are some unscrupulous real estate agents are literally um, staking out people's homes, waiting for them to either come home from work or go outside. Are these agents or reps of rich Russians? What are we talking about here? I mean, I think it's 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 all of them. You know, it's developers and real estate agents who are you know looking to either buy single-family homes and renovate them quickly and flip them, or which... What's more common is they're trying to buy several homes in a row and take advantage of, um, you know, trying to, to maximize their building rights by buying a bunch of properties continuous to each other and, and then build something. Because zoning laws in the city... Especially people, in that neighborhood. Yeah, it's a very underdeveloped neighborhood, so to speak. And with zoning laws, they can build much higher than... You know, let's and and they can do that a lot of that as of right without yep. having to go through lengthy approval processes. So they see it as you know literally a quick. It's like a, um, a not a fixer upper, but a a, a tear down, uh, a flip. They want yeah. to flip these, these flip pro properties, not the homes themselves, but well, like they want to redevelop the land. Yeah. yeah, they want to redevelop it. They just the the issue that they have, as I understand it, is if you know if you have like a row house. Um, because of the city's FA or the floor area ratio development rules and setbacks. Now we're getting into it here. Yeah, we're really getting in the weeds. But they they can't just buy a row house and then build something gigantic. They need to build. They need to buy several properties in a row, and then they can build something that's you know two three times as big as what's currently there. Right, really make a lot of money. Floor area ratio is a metric, a zoning metric, by which the city judges how big a building can be by the size of the land that it's on. So it's proportionate, you know, size is proportionate to lot, which yeah. is exactly why That's this right. neighborhood is ground zero. So there's, for there's like a maximum size, but there's also, it's, it's determined by the lot the size. Perimeter so you can't have, you can't lot. have like a row house wide building that's like 20 stories tall. But if you buy a couple properties in a row, then you can build pretty pretty tall. And there. Richardson told us, you know, um, we tried to get the assemblywoman on the show, but she's, she's going to come on another time, though. Um, she's in a busy woman. Mondays and Tuesdays. She told us she's up in Albany working hard for you. She told us that she initially printed a run of, I think, a thousand signs, which she's more or less gone through, which, which speaks to the volume of yeah, requests I, she's getting. When I spoke to her... Two weeks ago, I want to say she she was down to her last 100, and was um, going into the second run of printing. So, it seems like you know, if judging by the demand for the signs, that it's a pretty pretty widespread issue in that part of town. And some, you know, we Colin talked to some residents who admitted it was more of an annoyance than anything else. You know, just having to deal with these gnats on their doorsteps and telling them no, 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 no. People but, have enough to deal with, you know? Well, yeah, but what uh, what 
Assemblywoman Richardson pointed out is that it's less of a concern for, you know, maybe longtime residents than it is for those longtime residents who maybe are feeling the the stretch from gentrification. They're, you know, because their neighborhoods have gotten so expensive, they're not maybe do not maybe as flush or they're older and they're not as able to take care of their homes. So they see quick cash as a benefit, but aren't necessarily thinking of, you know, all the cons of kind of turning their home over that way. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it runs the gamut of people who, you know, understand what their home is worth and are in a good situation and, you know, are looking forward to passing on their homes to their sons or daughters and have, you know, no interest in selling to people who are in debt for whatever reason, you know, maybe you just inherited a property and, um, you know, you don't really understand how, you know, if you're going to be able to maintain it or pay taxes on it. And so, you know, some guy comes up to you with a literal bag of cash while you're, you know, if you, you know, somebody dies, you know, you're trying to deal with funeral arrangements, you know, now you've got, you know, your inheritance to deal with. And so she claims they're, they're, um, you know, targeting people in debt they're using and they're targeting people whose family died. Um, and are dealing, Unbelievable. You know, are dealing reading with, it in the legal notices or state notices, I'm sure. Yeah. And, are, you know, they're, they're dealing with all these things. And then some guy shows up with a literal bag of cash, you know, and some people, Hard you know, say no, you know, they see the money and it, it takes a problem off of their hand. And, um, you know, maybe they they could have made they probably could have sold it for much more. But, you know, now they don't have to go through the trouble. So, listeners, um, if 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 you're a victim of this situation, definitely let us know. Yeah, We'd get love to hear from you if you've had any sort of personal accounts with, you know, unscrupulous realtors or would-be home buyers pushing for your place. Um, also, if you'd like a sign, we can pass that. Request How should they along. get in touch with us? What's the best way? You can always call our newsroom um, at seven one eight two six zero. 2525 or email us at bpnewsroom at schneps, S-C-H-N-E-P-S, media, M-E-D-I-A, dot com. Well, let's get into the second reason why you're in here, Colin. We're going to have to get into the weeds with him. Dude, where's my office? Marijuana. Oh, boy. Really quickly, you know, Colin has been covering our Leaves of Grass beat um, for quite some time. You know, the borough's home to the uh, legendary poet Walt Whitman author of Leaves of Grass, um, which we've adopted as our ongoing marijuana vertical. But the past couple of weeks, again, we haven't been on air, so a quick recap. A lot has changed with regard to marijuana, both locally and statewide. The borough's first medical facility opened just around the new year across the street from the Barclays Center. Weeks later, Governor Cuomo revealed a plan to legalize recreational, what he calls adult-use marijuana, across the state and then a week after that it's recreational we call it recreational that's our term for it we should continue to call it recreational um we will and then last week you know news that a second medical provider uh is opening on court street uh, sort of on the border of america's downtown in brooklyn heights broke and so it's been you know back to back to back marijuana you know moving forward scoops here and you know before we let colin break down the potential you know what could happen under the new plan it's funny because you know i got a call last week from a reader who claimed we cover marijuana too much Hmm. and that we don't much alcohol not enough no she she was saying you know she said that there's all this you know splashiness of it and you know I, i explained to her we're not we don't cover it with a bent. We just cover it to let people know what's going on. Obviously, a second medical facility opening is a news that people would want to know, news that she would want to know, because then she can call me and complain why it's bad. Obviously, you know, she argued that many say it's a drug that can lead to use of more addictive, more... It's a gateway drug. More, yeah, what they call a gateway drug. Makes you a some murderer. things to say about that. Um, you know, I think people... She, an opinion that people she, have. She was concerned about quality of life, which, again, these are all arguments that no, anti-marijuana um, legalization people make. But, right. you know, Colin, you've been really immersed in this stuff over right. the past couple of weeks. You know, what, what are some of the benefits of the plan that Cuomo is proposing 
Well, I, I think the number one benefit that people should be cognizant of is that this is you know, mar- drug laws in general, but marijuana law specifically um, have resulted in a tremendous amount of people being imprisoned for nonviolent crimes, um, you know, misdemeanor and felony charges, which haunt them for the rest of their lives. And so I appreciate that there are quality of life concerns. Um, you know, there's quality of life concerns when a bar opens up across the street or, you know, a smoke shop. But um, try living above a vape store, you know, and it and it's right. And it's so it's important. You know, obviously, I think it's going I would assume that it's going to be regulated and that, you know, it's going to be um, there shouldn't be. There's going to be a process of determining where these stores can open, which is going to be a check on the way these things can infringe on people's quality of life. But it's it's a serious social justice issue. Right. Um, which is so, how our district attorney has framed it largely. Absolutely. I mean, since he took office, um, Eric Gonzalez has um, really used his authority and his um, prosecutorial discretion to um, decriminalize low-level um, possession charges and public smoking instances, uh, cases in the borough. Um, and as a result, you know, less people are being arrested. Um, and so the people who are typically tar- targeted for marijuana cases are um, young men of color. And so... Um, and we here at the paper, you know, we tend to harbor a healthy skepticism of elected officials and maybe when they make promises and proclamations that, you know, there might be an ulterior motive there. But I tend to believe Gonzalez on this issue. He grew up in East New York. He grew up in Williamsburg. He grew up, you know, he's a Brooklynite who's lived among many of the communities who he says, you know, are adversely affected by drug laws of of the past and i think he's he's being honest about the the disparity there and he's actually yeah. doing something about well, it i thought i think he's also you know saw the change was on the horizon and, and right he got out in front of it the time was right i mean he was following up off of um, his predecessor's policy right ken um, thompson which which he expanded in the past few years to a significant degree and so you know, now, um, you know, he's also advocated for once there is, um, once the law does change and marijuana becomes legal, um, there's, you know, he's advocating for people to be retroactively uh, have their charges dismissed. And so, you know, helps them get jobs and, you know, how about apply for all benefits. The, uh, how about all the tax dollars that this could raise? You no, know, it's going to make, it's going to raise a tremendous amount of money. He was thinking about three hundred million annually or something like that in the range of hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, and, they, and I think you know it's going to it's going to take a few years for the for the program to kick in, and you know municipalities will have the yeah, option he, to opt out. His and law so, proposes an opt out scheme. Yeah, I think there's going to be some towns that are going to take a wait and see policy. You know, we'll of, wait and see. Yeah, they're going to wait and see, and I certainly I think it's not go Kings fine. County. I, I don't. I don't anticipate the pandemonium and anarchy and chaos well there'll be some time to see how it plays out because if cuomo's scheme as it is proposed passes this april in his budget it wouldn't start to take effect on you know in local communities until as early as 2024 i think oh wow they said 2024 25 fiscal year i thought it was 2021 but I could be wrong. Well, I walked by a marijuana shop in Forest Hills, Queens, and I thought it was like an Apple store for AstroTurf. I had no idea they sold marijuana products there. And I was like, wow, I never thought AstroTurf stores would be so So those are the medical marijuana. And the medical marijuana industry in general, I think, but especially like the forward-facing retail is very keen to disassociate itself from marijuana culture conventional thoughts of where yeah. you might go and yeah. buy that. Yeah, I mean, the Sativa shop on Flatbush Avenue is very spa-like. It's very spa-like. Yeah. Um, we should see if we get the owner of that on the show. But I think the important thing to note is that we we have to beat New Jersey. Yeah, because if you don't, you know? the traffic to New Jersey is going to be unbelievable. Yeah, we can't lose to New Jersey. We just, <laughs> yeah. it just can't It's happen. already bad. Yeah. Well, some people might be okay with an influx of cars going that way instead of the other well, way. Well, they're going to be the going. Verizano. They're going to come back too. You know. Well, I, mean, I mean, I'm just as long saying, as we tax them. I, yeah, that's the, right. It's the money that you got to watch. Follow out. the money. You don't want to lose all that that 
green right to new jersey well this um you know this issue is surely going to continue to smoke uh over the next couple of months you're and you're just so good with the uh colin will be you know he'll be on it as much as possible so check back here on the story, back yeah. here. On the story. <laughs> uh, not on the pot on the story um but you might have to try it as like a test subject Oh, that would be an interesting story. I mean, you know, well, if duty calls anything to inform yeah. our, our listeners and readers. Colin, thank you for coming in. We're going to send you back to work. Thank you, guys. Please uh, send in Julianne McShane, okay. if you will. Tony, I would like to hear from you all about the Flaming Grill. You know, Johnny, it's lunchtime. And That's what if right. I told you there was a place you could go to get all you could eat sushi, steak, chicken and more? I would say, where is it? So you would want to go there. I mean, you had me at all-you-can-eat sushi. All-you-can-eat. Well, there is such a place. And that place is the Flaming Grill and Modern Buffet at 3839 Nostrand Avenue in Sheepshead Bay. It's the largest and most elegant Chinese, Japanese, and American cuisine restaurant this side of the Mason-Dixon. Hell, this side of the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. Um, And you can go there now. Call them for party room reservations if you have a big event. And don't wait because they're serving it up all you can eat every, you know, pretty much all hours of every day when they're open. So check them out, 3839 Nostrand Avenue. You can go to Flaming Grill of New York of NY.com. That's Flaming Grill of NY.com to look at their menu and be sure to tell them Brooklyn Paper Radio sent you. That's right. And I think we should go there for our Brooklyn Paper Radio party. Absolutely. Which we are still planning. I can't wait until we can get the show catered with all-you-can-eat sushi, steak, chicken, and barbecue. You had me at sushi. Julianne McShane, welcome to the program. <laughs> how are you? Good, We've got you? reporter Julianne McShane, um, who's stopping by from her impressively large beat that spans you know, Sunset Park down to Coney Island, over to Bensonhurst, you know, and everywhere really in between. One of those everywhere in-betweens lately has been the Metropolitan Detention Center over in Sunset Park, where a national crisis has erupted over a week-long power outage. And Julianne was down at the prison last week. She's been following this incident. Julianne, where are we? What's going on? Is the power back on? So that remains to be seen. I was actually seeing reports on Twitter um, just earlier today that the heat is allegedly out again. Oh, my God. Yeah. I reached out to the Bureau of Prisons, and they have told me that the heat is operational. But they also said that last week when... During the whole time that it allegedly wasn't. Yes. So, um, and, and you know, the, the defender, the lawyers defending some of the inmates have also alleged that the Bureau of Prisons has consistently lied about the conditions inside. So um, now I've reached out to uh, the, the head um, lawyer who's um, part of the Federal Defenders of New York, which is the organization that is defending the inmates. Um, and so hopefully we'll learn more today about about what actually is happening inside. I did see photos. They set up a fence outside the perimeter of the jail. So it looks like... Which is on 29th between 2nd and 3rd. Mm-hmm. So right. people, people meaning like people like you and I, mm-hmm. cannot get... It's unclear. I spoke with um, someone whose son is in the jail, and she said that she was going to visit him today. But um, they have set up that fence outside the perimeter, so it looks like it looks like they're trying to keep visitors out. Interesting. Well, that wouldn't um, bode well for claims that the heat isn't working. Right. I mean, it would probably be the first thing people notice. And just mm-hmm. to catch people up, listeners, if you haven't been following the story, um, the jail, a group of lawyers sued the jail. Last Monday, I believe, on February fourth, mm-hmm. after you know allegations and news broke that the prior week, from January twenty seventh to February first, it did not have power all week, and subsequently did not have heat. Its prisoners were forced to exist inside, allegedly in just you know cloth t shirts and pants, while guards wore scarves and heavy heavy sweaters. Um, and not only did they not have heat, but they allegedly were barred from speaking to their lawyers. They were allegedly barred from some health and medical treatment. Um, and it sounds like a big old mess. And, you know, just moments ago, we were talking about transparency am- among the government and among elected officials. And I think this situation is another example of how that transparency and how that sort of 
what once was a sort of known fact that they would provide the public with information about what they were in charge of overseeing is now not so reliable anymore. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this jail um, specifically has been reported to have had a culture of not just um, mistreatment and abuse, but of sort of a lack of transparency. Um, I was just reading in a story that the Times published this past Saturday, um, sort of recapping everything that we know so far that um, stretching back to nine, uh, stretching back to just after 9-11, um, officers in the jail were accused of targeting Muslim inmates. Um, we, there have been multiple incidents since then. We just reported last year that um, three former staffers at the jail were um, convicted on charges of sexual abuse of female inmates. So there's certainly been a culture of, um, of abuse at the jail, and, and that's also something that the local politicians have called out. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a complicated situation at a place with a complicated past. So be sure we will be staying on it um, as you know the nation looks to the community of Sunset Park to see what's happening there. There's one more thing before we let you go that, you know, again, it's something that I've seen. It's something that I've, you know, that's come up. And I, I want to get your opinion as someone who's covering this. You know, a lot of people say a lot of people who believe that too much of a fuss is being made about the prisoners because mm -hmm. of the fact that they've committed crimes, you know, they've been found guilty, what have you. And they claim, you know, this is an isolated situation. What about, you know, where is this outrage every day mm -hmm. at, you know, a public housing complex mm -hmm. or, or other areas, mm -hmm. other places where residents um, are facing failures in terms right. of infrastructure or whatever, you know, what do you say to people who kind of compartmentalize the two and say like, why, you know, you can't be outraged about this unless you're outraged about every single incident there. Like, mm -hmm. is there a parallel there? Are they conflating the issue? Is there a way to be outraged about both? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I mean, I think that part of the reason that we saw so much, um, support for this is because, um, you know, this, the conditions that we're seeing in this jail are sort of indicative of the larger, you know, our country's larger prison industrial complex and the way that um, our country uh, is known to sort of fall short when it comes to how we treat incarcerated people. Um, and, you know, I think that this also really shows the power of the press because I was actually reading in the most recent Times story that the the power and heat outages actually started in mid-January. So they actually started um, a week or two before the New York Times first reported on the conditions, which I think was um, February 1st. Um, and, you know, th that article said that back in mid-January, the prisoners were um, filling up containers um, with water and lighting them from underneath with uh, a lighter to keep their hands warm. Wow. So, and so it wasn't until the the times you know they got an anonymous tip and published the whole story outlining the whole situation that um, that really that local politicians and local activists were really spurred to act. But in regards to you know um, who can feel outrage about what, I mean you know we can't we can't police sort of what people what people choose to act on um, or you know what what makes people feel the most impassioned, but. Um, you know, I guess I would say I think that this probably got all the traction and the attention that it did because it's indicative of, of these larger nationwide issues. Sure. Well, I, I just want to add, you know, as compassionate people, I think we should have compassion for anyone who has no heat in the winter, right. regardless Absolutely. of their... Right. And, Absolutely. Yeah, and we've also seen, you know, places like the Times and, um, place, you know, other other large outlets and other activists really advocating for residents in, of NYCHA who, you know, have been without heat. But but you're right that this has certainly been a very contained and, um, you know, uh, I guess even sustained um, incident of kind of outrage over the inhumane conditions. Well, that outrage certainly is not over yet. So again, stick with brooklynpaper.com. Come back next week when we'll likely have another update from Julianne McShane, who's keeping her eyes and ears on the ground down in Sunset Park. Julianne, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Now get back to work. And if you could send in Bill Roundy Great. for the 10 things to do with Bill. Great. I want to know if uh, the Matthew Whitaker, that guy, the Lex Luthor looking guy. Yeah, the acting he, attorney uh, general. If he's implicated in this story. You agree? It looks a little bit like. Well, I mean, in in 
if for no other reason he's implicated because the Department of Justice, which is investigating the conditions at the prison after the suit was filed, um, the Department of Justice oversees the Federal Bureau of Prisons. Mm. So as the acting head of... It's on him. As the acting attorney general, rather, the head of the Department of Justice, then yes, Whitaker would have some responsibility over this situation because it occurred during his tenure. I don't believe his replacement has taken the office yet. Well, our didn't next didn't come up at his confirmation. No, hearing. it did not. Uh, our next and last segment of the show, what to do with and where to go and what to do and where to do it with Bill Roundy is brought to you by Amita Care. Amita Care serving the five boroughs since 2003 is a nonprofit community health care provider. They take pride in their care for the LGBTQ community and they will be there for you in sickness and in health. You should call them today, 1-800-556-0689, or visit them online at amitacareny.org. Amitacare, above and beyond for you. And with that... With that, we um, turn to our beloved arts editor, Mr. Bill Roundy, who... Well, hello, hello. Hello there. He is. For every week in print has been telling you where to go and what to do. For years, you know, now we're going to have him tell it to your ears. Every week on the Brooklyn Paper Radio Show. Because we know that Brooklynites love nothing better than going out and doing things. So we want to give them as many of those things as possible. And without further ado, Bill, what are some of those things this week? Well, there is no shortage of events happening in Brooklyn every week. Uh, but this is Valentine's Day week. Uh-oh. Whoa. Right. So we've got some romance and some anti-romance. Something for everybody. You know, on Wednesday, uh, the day before Valentine's Day February has become... February 13th. Galentine's Day. Oh, yeah. For, uh, for women who would prefer to curl up with a good book, uh, romance novels, there's going to be a special event sponsored by Word Bookstore up in Greenpoint. What's going to happen there? Uh, they're going to have a bunch of romance authors. They'll be uh, discussing their books and doing readings from it. And there's going to be special cocktails. There's going to be a lot of chocolate. So it's like a speed dating for your next favorite novel. Basically, yeah. I like that. You know, it's a celebration of, uh, of romance novels. That sounds fantastic and lovely. Quite mm-hmm. Lovely, in fact. Now, on uh, Valentine's Day, I picked out something for couples. Uh, Nighthawk is screening uh, Seven Chances which is uh, an old Buster Keaton movie from 1927. This way you can get your traditional dinner in a movie because they drink, bring the dinner right to your seats. I love that about Nighthawk. And uh, Seven Chances is kind of a funny romantic comedy. Yeah, I've never seen it. Rom-com. But it's, it must be a classic if it's that old and they're still screening it. Well, it's, Forgive uh, me, listeners. Uh, Buster Keaton has seven hours to get married so he can make $7 million. Sounds like a great... I'm surprised that hasn't been made into a reality show yet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But uh, as a a single man myself, that night I will be going out to see The Glorious Sons, which is a rock and roll band from Canada. And they're stopping by Rough Trade. Yeah, and what's so lovely about The Glorious Sons that they're doing a Valentine's Day show? Or is this a non... Valentine's event just happening on Valentine's Day. It just happens to be on Valentine's Day. They are on tour. They're coming through. You too can have a regular day That's on right. February 14th. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm just going to pretend that it's not happening. What's the sound of um, of that outfit? What's their... It's a really... It's a, it's a blue collar, just straight ahead rock and roll. You know, I've got my, uh, I got my pickup truck. I've got my shotgun. All Let's right. Let's go out and rock. Nothing says love like red, white, and blue. Or I guess red... <laughs> white and red for our neighbors to the north. There you go. Yeah. Um, and uh, this weekend, the Frida Kahlo exhibit, which I oh yes. mentioned before, is it is now open. It's and open. We've uh, we've gotten a glimpse. Uh, we sent uh, reporter Kevin Duggan to check that out. K-Dog. I, what's interesting to me about that is, you know, you had told me in a previous conversation, it's not just her, her works, but it's also a lot of her personal effects, her clothing, her jewelry, her possessions that sort of helped define her public persona. Yeah, because she had a very definite, sort of very strong feminist public persona that she curated. You know, she very carefully chose the dresses she had to sort of support the local indigenous industry of the dressmakers in Mexico. Sure. Uh, Obviously, she had a very prominent eyebrow look. Of course. Um, And so it 
you know, sort of demonstrates uh, some of her makeup regime and then also her self-portraits, which promoted her own uh, her own image. Yeah, I think, you know, she's known as much for her image as for the artwork she created. So that sounds fascinating. I mean, Frida, very ahead of her time, you know, in terms of every decision for her public persona she made, you know, supporting someone else, you know, it, it's it's it directly influenced things. I mean, that's what people are doing all the time today because they have to because nothing is is private anymore. Well, she would be fantastic on Instagram. I know. I, I just wish Frida could have done an Instagram. Maybe the Brooklyn Museum can can get one off the ground, an unofficial, you know, collogram. Uh, and while it is still winter, I, I'm looking for uh, for comfort foods, things that are warming. And there's nothing better for that than macaroni and cheese. Oh, yeah. Of so course. There's no, be, no, there's not. There's going to be a mac and cheese takedown next Sunday in Bushwick. Whoa. So there will be, I think, about 30 different people will be competing with their own macaroni and cheese concoctions. But uh, there are no rules as to what exactly is involved in the mac and cheese. So they may be adding lobster to it. Apparently one year someone made a mac and cheese ice cream. That oh my sounds gosh. disgusting. Yeah, that sounds awful. Yeah. But, <laughs> but maybe it was good. You not know? to mac and cheese lovers. I'm well, not sure. It, it would at least be very interesting. Totally. Right. So I want to get there in the afternoon and sort of load up on my carbs. Now, <laughs> I assume for some of these uh, some of these events, there'll be some are free, some have charges. Where can people kind of find out all they need to know about admission and stuff? They can go on our website, yeah? That's right. We have a whole events calendar section uh, where you can just choose the day and we'll give you a list of all of the events that are happening on that day. Or if you don't want to leave your own neighborhood, you just click on that and it'll, it'll give you a list of what's happening nearby. That is how advanced we are. We sort your events by neighborhood, Brooklyn, because we want to do as much as we can to get you out and about. And I just want to throw my hat in the ring here uh, for our Brooklyn Nets fans. Your Brooklyn Nets are playing on the road on Wednesday night. You can go to any sports bar or your any house with cable and watch them play the Cleveland Cavaliers. Hopefully they'll win. Karis LeVert came back. He looked great in his first game. Big fan. And uh, let's see how it goes this week with the Brooklyn Nets before the All-Star break. Go get them, boys. And that is your what to do and where to do it with Bill Roundy. I'm going to give you a round of applause. Give Roundy a round of applause. A round of applause for Roundy, shall we? The treasure that he is. Bill, thank you again for giving our listeners, you know, guides to what they can do to make their weeks the best and Absolutely. most jam-packed as possible. We appreciate it. They need something to do when they're not reading the Brooklyn paper or listening to Brooklyn paper radio. Well, Tony, it is time to close what was our first show back. I can't believe that. It's It's been fun. It went by in the blink of an eye. It feels like, you know, we've been doing this for months. Wait, we kind of have. Yeah, a little bit. But, but now we, we're going to start doing it for months again every week. In an official capacity. Come back and listen to us on Tuesdays at brooklynpaper.com. Johnny, thank you so much for helping me get this off the ground. It's my pleasure, and thanks to the sponsors, Flaming Grill, Sterling Optical, and Amita Care. We appreciate you, and thanks to the Schneps Media. Look out for Power Women with Vicky Schneps. I'm Johnny Cunin. I'm Tony Rotano. Peace out, Brooklyn. Bye-bye. <laughs>